I'm Joe Napolitano, guest hosting for Denzel Muhammad. Welcome to Job Makers, a weekly podcast produced by Pioneer Institute and the Immigrant Learning Center. I'm excited to share with you the stories of risk-taking immigrants who create new products, services, and jobs in New England and across the United States. These stories resonate with me in part because of my own background. I was actually born in Bogota, Colombia, and was abandoned at a bus stop when I was just a day old. Placed in an orphanage, I nearly died of starvation before I was adopted by a family from New York and raised by a single mother. Despite all of these obstacles, I went on to earn a degree from Medill at Northwestern University and have built a career as an award-winning journalist covering topics for the New York Times, Chicago Tribune, Newsday, and other outlets on topics including education, science, and crime. And of course, education was my own pathway out of poverty. I passionately believe no child's life should be left to chance. That's why I wrote a new book on immigrant youth called The School I Deserve, Six Young Refugees and Their Fight for Equality in America that has just been released about a month ago and is available now everywhere. Amazon, Target, from Beacon Press, the publisher directly. When we return, we'll talk to our guest, Joshua Feast from Kajito. Joshua is the CEO and co-founder of Cogito. He is a serial entrepreneur and thought leader with a passion for creating innovative technology that helps people live more productive lives. Josh has more than a decade of experience as a senior executive and is regularly quoted in Forbes, Fortune, The Wall Street Journal. He holds an MBA from the MIT Sloan School of Management where he was the Platinum Triangle Fulbright Scholar in Entrepreneurship and a Bachelor of Technology from Massey University in New Zealand. Kojito provides human-aware technology to help professionals elevate their performance. Kojito's AI, or artificial intelligence, instantly analyzes hundreds of conversational behaviors to provide live in-call guidance combined with a real-time measure of customer experience. The technology is augmenting the emotional intelligence of thousands of agents in the world's most successful enterprises, improving sales results, delivering world-class service, and enhancing quality of care. Kajito is a venture-backed software company located in Boston, Massachusetts, and please learn more at their own website, www.kojitocorp.com. Kojito Corporation employs 200 people in Boston, Massachusetts, and has been in operation since 2007. So Joshua, I'm wondering, can you please help explain exactly what your company does? Yes, of course. Uh, So we provide what we call an AI coaching system, um, which is um, an AI that works in tandem with a a human um, in the workplace to help um, get a better result. Um, in our case, we uh, work with um, uh, large-scale enterprise call centers and help la- um, enterprise call center agents uh, be more productive. And, and the way we do that is the, the technology listens to phone calls as they're happening, looks at behavior patterns, uh, and uses those to understand how well calls are going. And then we provide guidance. You can think of them like hints and tips and nudges um, as um, our users are speaking on the phone with customers. Oh my goodness. So if you could explain how that might actually work, if I'm operating at a call center for, let's say, a major 
what I, if you give me an example of a business that you serve, like a credit card company or a medical person, or what what's the type of company you might serve? Yeah, so we would work, we work with um, large um, health insurers, um, uh, life and disability insurers, um, big technology companies, banks. Mm-hmm. And, and so as these folks are speaking to their clients or customers, they're getting prompts based on based on what the customer is saying. Um, yeah, so yeah, sort of, and and basically how the two parties are speaking with each other. So the the intuition is that people make a decision about whether they've been well served by the way they're spoken to. <laughs> and, um, and and if the fact is, is that um, jobs and contact centers, like all caring professions, are very challenging jobs. There's lots of ups and downs. Not everybody is perfectly nice uh, all the time. Um, and um, what we found is that uh, if we can provide some feedback into um, how somebody's coming across, um, whether customers stressed or distressed, um, and also help generally understand how well conversation is going, we can get much better um, results. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. And does Cogito have one main software tool that it markets to different companies, or is it more customizable depending on the needs of the clients? We have one main software tool, which we call um, Cogito Dialog, that uh, is um, what uh, almost everybody uses. Um, the tool can be customized um, according to different types of interactions. So we have um, customizations available, for example, for um, uh, health coaching calls, general customer service calls, tech support calls, sales calls, claims calls. Um, and, um, and each of those different uh, types or models um, understands the context of the call in order to figure out how well it's going and then also has um, different um, types of uh, prompting that, that are provided to the agent. Okay. Do the companies that buy Cogito's projects tend to be telemarketers or just customer service wings of large companies? We'd like to give a sense uh, to listeners of, of who your clientele might be. Uh, typically, the most common use is uh, customer service inside large companies. So oh. we, don't, we, don't, we don't tend to work on outbound calling. It's more when you call in, this is a, a software product that makes the call experience better. Okay. And I understand artificial intelligence has a wide variety of applications from healthcare to robotics to e-commerce and advertising. Clearly, it's a very innovative and dynamic field. But are there applications of AI that are relatively untapped, um, where there is great potential for impact and interest from investors, perhaps not many entrepreneurs willing to take on that role? Um, well, um, I think the field that we work in um, is an example of a, an emerging field, which is sometimes referred to as augmented intelligence. So here, what you're trying to do is um, have the AI work in tandem and in, um, at the, in the moment um, with a human who's performing a task. Um, and that, that's challenging for multiple reasons. One, the AI, the AI has to be able to understand what's going on. Um, uh, in the moment. <laughs> Second, it has to be able to understand humans well enough to be useful. <laughs> and then third, it has to be able to give responses in the middle of potentially a high cognitive load task uh, in order to generate a better outcome for both the AI and the human to work together. So that's a that's a field that there's um, you know a lot of investment in at the moment um, and is, I think, a, a good example of a um, use of AI that may be somewhat surprising to people. Artificial intelligence has been a somewhat controversial technological innovation because of its potential 
for automation-related job loss, algorithmic bias, uh, privacy violations, et cetera. Have any of your clients raised any of these concerns? Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I, I, um, I think that the way I sort of think about it is if you're not thinking about those um, concerns and actively doing something about them, then you probably don't run an AI company. <laughs> They're that sort of intrinsic to the field. Um, um, so, you know, I, I, the one is sort of what are societally productive use cases, um, which is sort of the, the first question. Um, I think that's very much um, the responsibility of the technologist and the inventors um, uh, to, to come up with things that, that are going to be you know, broadly valuable and, and valuable to users, to consumers and to enterprise buyers. All, I always say it has to be a win-win-win. Um, uh, the second is, uh, you know, elements of, uh, you know, we talk about bias or privacy. So, you know, we have, you know, whole teams that, um, you know, um, focus on those issues to make sure that we're doing everything we can around that. We, one of the, we were one of the very first to publish uh, research into um, gender bias and emotion recognition and voice. Um, we were one of the very first to, to publish um, sort of the, how, how to deal with it. So they're very, very important issues um, when it comes to AI. And so I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how do you account for um, algorithmic bias, privacy violations, or gender-based, you know, differences that, that might present themselves kind of unfairly? What, what are some of the things that you look for, or tools you look to root that out? Um, so um, if we look at bias, so one of the great ways to, a great way to sort of understand AI um, and sort of demystify it is in a lot of ways, it's kind of, it's what we could, I sometimes refer to as programming with data. So, you know, a, a lot of things, you know, could be done using sort of normal software techniques, but they can, but that software can be created a lot more quickly and efficiently and dynamically if you use AI techniques. But to do that, you have to supply it with a lot of data. So the real heart of the trick when it comes to, um, to bias is to make sure you have unbiased data. Uh, and um, so that means very careful collection, uh, very careful labeling. Um, uh, I think, um, you know, for example, we have a, you know, a sort of an annotation team that spot checks that comes from a diverse set of backgrounds. Um, we make sure that the data we pull in is representative um, of, um, uh, you know, of, um, you know, our industry. Um, so I think those are, those are important. Um, there, there is also one other thing that I think is worth considering with AI bias that's maybe less well discussed, and that is um, who gets to build AI. <laughs> um, you know, like is what use cases we choose. You know, and I, I think um, you know this. This is sort of an interesting podcast in that respect. Um, you know, because if we're talking about you know, immigrant entrepreneurship, that's one particular um, you know, group that uh, you know may or may not get the opportunity to build AI products. Um, and we really, we really ideally do want to have a very diverse set of folk building these types of technologies so that we meet a variety of needs. Okay. And from what I understand, kind of machine learning, it's kind of like a, a computer's ability to recognize different things kind of inputted by a human being, or is there, can you differentiate the two and explain how both play, play a role in the company? Um, so machine learning is, is, um, can be thought of as a set of techniques that give rise to artificial intelligence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and really what it is, is it's uh, these techniques are 
you think of it like um, computational statistical techniques that read data and um, turn it or recognize patterns, uh, and then and then from that um, provide instructions to a computer program about what to do. Excellent. Okay. And I'm wondering too, do Cogito's products replace the role that a call center supervisor would have, or does it merely take away discretion that the call center agent would otherwise have had? Um, I would say I would I would say it doesn't do either of those things. So um, the the software from a supervisor side, it makes the job of coaching a lot easier. So one of the challenges in in a large scale contact center is everybody is incredibly busy. Um, so the the opportunity to recognize what's going on and provide coaching for supervisors is very limited. Um, you know, then maybe they can coach on a call a month. <laughs> that might be good, <laughs> or a couple right. of calls a month, right? Whereas with with artificial intelligence, you can coach on every call, and you can identify which calls um, you know need you know um, uh, um, are the most interesting. Um, so that would be on the supervisor side, and then on the agent side, it, it's not a matter of um, removing discretion. The the application is designed to provide. Um, awareness. So a, a good a good metaphor is like lane departure warnings on a car. So it's not taking away your discretion as a driver, but um, it's giving you awareness of something that's going on that um, if you, you know that you can find helpful. So uh, for example, um, things that we might do is help somebody recognize the person that they're uh, talking to is distressed. Um, and so that they can, somebody can inquire, they can um, react with empathy. Um, and and um, because call center work is so intense, um, when you get tired, you can often fail to recognize social signals like that. So the, so the AI is basically um, adding or augmenting the sort of social senses of the call center agent. Okay. And I'm wondering, of course, why did you start this particular company? Yeah, so it's a good question. I, I um, uh, when I was um, before I came to the US, I um, spent a number of years working for um, the New Zealand Department of Child, Youth, and Family, which is the organisation that manages a lot of uh, you know um, the mental health issues and youth justice justice issues that uh, are there in New Zealand society. And one of the things I saw was that. Um, uh, there was an incredibly high burnout rate um, among social workers. So they would, you know, be able, frontline social workers, you know, wouldn't be atypical for them to survive three to five years only uh, before burnout. And I just felt that um, large organizations, um, through no fault of management, I and mean, everybody wants the best, but um, they can become bureaucratic. And it's particularly hard on the caring professions um, because there isn't data that's what I think of as human aware. Uh, and so what, what we've tried to do at Kajito is bring technology that can um, uh, help support the caring profession and provide emotional intelligence to large organizations so that um, they can manage their people more effectively. Wow. Okay. And tell me a little bit about your experience working for, for um, that incredibly important agency in New Zealand. What exactly were you doing there? Um, I was um, uh, I was a, a technologist. I was helping them build um, a, a case management system. So that's the software that records all the cases of 
um, you know, mental health issues or, or youth justice issues um, in, in, um, in the country. Wow, that's, that's a pretty incredible position. So I wanted to ask you now uh, to go back to kind of your personal experience in, in terms of you would so kindly tell me about your background, exactly where you're from in New Zealand, how old were you when you arrived in the United States, what prompted the move? So feel free to pick any of those questions. To start. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, so I, I grew up um, in, uh, in the suburbs of New Zealand um, uh, in um you know, uh, so I guess in a lot of ways, a relatively traditional nuclear family. I had younger sister, older brother, and my, my father was an engineer, and he went into business. And my my mother um, uh, still is a, a registered nurse. So um, I was always, always sort of interested in the intersection of technology and and care in a lot of ways. Um, uh, after my initial work experience, and I was lucky enough to get um, some international experience, a bit in Australia, a little bit in in Europe. Um, I was um, given an opportunity to come and study at MIT and learn um, technology entrepreneurship through the Fulbright program, which is an incredible program set up by the US to create um, sort of bilateral exchanges um, of students between the US and a variety of other countries of which New Zealand is one. Um, So I came and I was in my late twenties and uh, studied at MIT um, fortunate enough to meet my wife <laughs> and, um, at that time. Um, and then when I was at MIT, I um, encountered a stream of research that was developed by my co-founder, um, who's a professor at MIT, and he had done about 10 years of basic science into how you can teach a computer to read human behavior in a first psychological state. And I thought that stream of research could be used to help organizations um, essentially do better for caring the caring profession and that was how we got started with Kajita. Oh wow and so you met your wife at MIT was she an American or is she an American? Um, yeah, another immigrant story she's originally from France. Oh okay great and so tell us tell me about um, your you know journey to the United States or becoming you know living here um, what what are some of the struggles or kind of perhaps um, strange little picadillos about America were maybe a little bit difficult for someone coming from across the world? Yeah, it's um, it's so in- interesting coming to America because it's a culture that's so uh, sort of in some ways so well known because the you know, just because the sort of cultural exports are so strong <laughs> that you know you, you come thinking you know America when you really don't at all. <laughs> so that's always one of the things that, that are so funny. I think um, you know as well um, when you you're coming to, to the US from a, an English-speaking country can be a bit, um, you, know, you can become a little bit overconfident, I would say, because, you say, oh, well, everybody speaks the same language as me, so they must have a similar culture or a similar cultural basis, but that not, not, isn't necessarily true at all. Um, so I think that's always always interesting. And I think, too, there's one th- another thing I think that people who come from abroad are mistaken in when they talk about kind of one America, one American ideology, one American value, one American feeling on anything. And this is a country of, you know, well over 300 million people. You have lots of different ways of living here. And did you kind of did you have an idea about what America was and did you find people that kind of challenged that notion for you? I think I mean I think that's extremely well observed. <laughs> lots of different Americas and lots of different. I mean the diversity almost defines the country. That's um, true. Um, um, it challenged me. I mean I, I think I mean I think the 
um, I mean, there, there's there are some very sort of sort of almost like fundamental differences in values between, for example, New Zealand and the US. Um, uh, um, uh, that that so that that sort of strike to the core of some basic assumptions. <laughs> you know, um, you know, um, you know there, some of these are sort of maybe you know, like for example, New Zealanders. Um, uh, you know, one of the core values of New Zealand is um, equality, right? Um, it's very, very focused on equality, whereas one of the core values of the US is freedom, is another good example, right? They're, they're both very strong and very, very important. And, you know, um, but, but the, the differences in those sort of fundamental things, so it means you start from a different, just completely different um, starting point in, in, how you, in how you think about things. That's so true here. Individual freedom, the right of the individual, the motivation of the individual is woven into how the nation was created or so we kind of tell ourselves, right? So mm -hmm. now we see that kind of working for and against us as wonderful attributes to that. And then certain things where it creates a, you know, something that we all are aspiring to change for the better. Um, and so I have, I always ask this of people who come here from another country, what's the strangest food you encountered here? And what's something you <laughs> miss from home? <laughs> strangest food uh gosh um well i will let me give you a little help i have okay. i just wrote a book about children who are what the main child is from sudan and she said where she grew up in darfur you do not eat the skin of a chicken and so when she came to the united states everything is a fried chicken with the fried skin it's repulsive to her like you just do not do that there so i thought that was really kind of funny yeah that's that is funny um yeah, I, I, I mean, I think possibly, um, you know, the the New Zealand food situation is maybe maybe re reasonably similar to the US. Um, uh, you know, uh, um, anything you miss back home, you can't get here. Well, um, well, I, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's, in this, I've been here you know, obviously over a decade, and a lot of the things I miss back home. Are now sort of almost have, have come here now. <laughs> a good example is uh, yeah, like a good example is um, coffee. So Starbucks has a flat white now. As far as I know, that was started in Australia and New Zealand, <laughs> and I missed them for such a long time. And now I can just order them on the menu, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> that is really really neat. Okay, well I think that probably concludes most of our interview. Joshua, thank you so so much for sharing your incredible story with our listeners. We really appreciate your time. We wish you continued success in your business. Thank you very, very much. I've appreciated this. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week for another episode of Job Makers. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to Job Makers on your favorite podcast app and share this episode on Facebook and Twitter. Join us again next Thursday at noon. I'm Joe Napolitano, and thank you so much for listening to Job Makers.